Good morning. Welcome to this new teaching series, Conversations from Jesus Ministry Speak Today. The boss walks up to an employee and says, we need to talk. A teacher shares the same comment to a student and a coach the same to one of his team members. We need to talk. Or a wife approaches her husband and announces the same. We need to talk. This solitary phrase contains such incredible power. And although in some instances the phrase might instill fear or dread, the expression actually can offer an opportunity to learn what matters most in a given moment. Meaningful conversation. An exchange of words for a given purpose or truth to be embraced. Conversation actually means to exchange uh, expressions, to, to exchange thoughts or words. In Jesus' earthly ministry, his conversations were purposed to exchange words with an individual so that his or her present circumstances would be altered by the truth forever. His exchange was meant to bring change and his conversations, because they were exchanged with real people, not unlike you and me, became significant and relevant for our lives today. His conversations from his ministry while here on earth still speak at this very moment. The New Testament records approximately 130 specific in-depth contacts Jesus had with others on an individual basis. Now, of these conversations recorded, a few numbered among those within the temple or synagogues, with over 120 of these conversations being numbered from within the mainstream of life. Consider how Jesus once approached the marketers in the temple when he turned over tables and reclaimed his father's house as a house of prayer. And after the tables landed bottom up and the money changers scattered, Jesus entered into a conversation with some of the religious leaders concerning issues of personal faith. Or consider how Jesus, with the confrontation of a demon, a demon who was possessing a, a real life, Jesus asked a very simple question to demonstrate a very important piece of theology, and more specifically, Christology of, of who he is. In another occasion, as the disciples listened to Jesus correct their misunderstanding of greatness, the conversation was given an unexpected turn as a proper view of the kingdom of Christ was shared. When we lean into these conversations that Jesus had with real people in their real experiences, we engage the scriptures with a fresh perspective of who Jesus is and what it truly means to follow him. So welcome to our study series, Conversations. And for the next several weeks, we will, we will embrace from the scriptures conversations from Jesus' earthly ministry that speak today. They, they speak right now. His conversations send a message straight to our hearts as if we were the ones standing there in dialogue with him. Now, one such conversation to consider, Jesus in the temple reveals his authority. So again, welcome to this teaching series and how these conversations speak to our hearts. Consider how inside the temple that day that Jesus 
cleansed his father's house of the money changers, consider how his authority became clearly pronounced from within a conversation. In John chapter 2, verse 18, the Jewish leaders asked Jesus, what sign of authority can you show us for doing these things? The authority of Jesus was questioned by the temple superintendents as he cleansed the temple of the money changers. So let's engage with this narrative by understanding both the circumstance and then the conversation itself. And by understanding both, uh, we will see that Jesus proved his authority, his rule and reign as God's son. So we begin first with the circumstance. And I love how this circumstance really draws us in to Jesus truly engaging the real lives of those closest to him on this occasion. The Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple complex, he found people selling oxen, sheep, doves, and he also found the money changers seated there. After making a whip of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. We read this straight from John chapter 2. Uh, this uh, narrative is also mentioned in what we would call the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. Matthew chapter 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19 all gives this same story. Uh, there are several facts of the circumstance so that we might better enter this story to hear the message that Jesus intended both then and now. So let me just list these facts for you so you and I can, can embrace the circumstance, and then we will certainly be better prepared to embrace the conversation. The first fact represents the temple. From verse 12 and 13 of John chapter 2, consider that Jesus had gone to Jerusalem for the Passover. The temple in Jerusalem represents the location of, of this narrative. The temple built by Solomon in the 10th century B.C., had been destroyed by the Babylonian invasion, but rebuilt under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah around the 6th century B.C. The temple was later remodeled by Herod. Because Jerusalem was the religious, and I may add political, center of Palestine, many Jews would travel from distant lands to come and worship during the key festivals. So that describes the temple and what we can learn from this setting Jesus is in as he has this conversation. From the fact of the temple, let's look at a second fact, the scheme of man. Within the temple on this day, there is a scheme unfolding. From verse 14, consider the marketing schema, if you will, Jesus discovered in the temple that day. Uh, this, is what we, this is what we notice. Be because people did travel distances and they were worshipers for the temple, the temple authorities uh, had set up, or at least seemed to have set up and approved, a marketing network for the convenience of buying animals required for the ceremonial sacrifices. This, this uh, answered the inconvenience people would face traveling with those animals themselves. Sadly, this marketing presence took precedence over the spirit of worship and created an opportunity for dishonest sellers and money changers to emerge 
This involved the exchange of money into local currency to satisfy the temple tax. So you see this this upside-down picture of the house of God from a place of worship to a place of commerce and shrewd commerce, wherein worshipers were, were taken advantage of by those doing the exchange or doing the selling. Jesus walked in on this. I mean, can, can you imagine? Jesus, God's Son, walked in on this. So we, we've looked at the temple and the scheme of man. Now let's look at the third fact. Jesus' response. And this takes us to, to verse 15. Verse 15 says, after making a whip out of courts, he drove those money changers out of the temple. He turned over tables and he poured out their coins. Jesus made a whip and drove the dishonest away from the temple. Bible scholar Leon Morris observed that the Greek phrase rendering the whip of courts probably describes ropes uh, like that on a ship that were called a rush, and they were twisted together. And so Jesus used that type of instrument to drive out those who were taking advantage of the worshipers that were turning God's house into a marketplace. Now we'll look at a, a, another fact. Uh, we've looked at the temple, the scheme of man, and Jesus' response. Now the fourth fact uh, describes Jesus' words. In verse 16, he told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. So in verse 16 and 17, Jesus not only drove away those who were dishonest, but made a proclamation of immense authority. So now we begin to see the theme of authority unfolding. Jesus said, my father's house. You know, in, in my mind's eye, I see this amazing display of incarnate holiness that overwhelmed all who were present. God in the flesh, sanctifying his house, was revealed as Jesus demanded in the fullness of heaven's authority, stop making my father's house a marketplace. At that very moment, and we see this in the scriptures, at that very moment, Verse 17, the disciples remembered from the Hebrew scriptures that messianic prophecy from Psalm 69, verse 9. Zeal, for your house will consume me. So with these four facts, uh, we see the circumstance represented. We see the narrative come to life through these facts of the circumstance, the temple, man's scheme. That defined the temple. Jesus responds in Jesus' words. So now that we've embraced the, the circumstance, let's now move to, a, to our second observation, the conversation. If Jesus walked into your house, how would, how would he view your house? What would become of that circumstance if Jesus stopped by at this very moment and peered into our lives? What would he walk in on? And how should we, how should we respond to that awareness? I'm, I mean, can you imagine those who felt control over the temple for their own gain uh, received that day the very presence of God, God's Son Jesus stepping in to their circumstance? Now, this is where the conversation opens. 
and often wonder what type of conversation would Jesus have with us now if he stepped right in to, to where we find ourselves in our life of faith and worship and, and what would the conversation uh, entail and, and involve. Well, look at the conversation Jesus had in the temple. Verse 18, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered in verse 19, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. So here we are in the conversation, verse 18 through 19. The Jews ask, what sign do you show for the authority over the things that you've done? Within this short conversation, Jesus said to them in response, destroy the temple and in three days, I'll raise it up. So the conversation reveals three very significant facts. Do you see the scenario? The superintendents of the temple come to Jesus after Jesus has cleansed the temple of the money changers and they they ask him, I, I believe the language shows a bit forcefully, uh, whose authority do you have to practice this? And Jesus responded about uh, the temple being destroyed and being raised up in three days. Now the, the phrase three days rings familiar because we have just come through the, the celebration of Easter and the resurrection of our Lord. And so lean in for just a moment to this conversation and let's discover three very significant facts. The first fact we discover is the problem. Very simply put, there is a problem that called for this conversation that Jesus engaged in with the, the building, the temple superintendents. So let's look at this problem a, a bit more specifically. Man's authority raised against the authority of Jesus. This becomes the noted problem. Man questioning whether or not Jesus had the authority to do what he did. Now, the authority of Jesus here means his rightful place over all things in our life. Certainly in this story, over religion, over the temple, over all the practices, and over all the ceremonies. Uh, Colossians 1.18 describes Jesus as head of the church and supreme in all things. So this designates his authority. On this occasion, men of religious office rejected that authority. There are two reasons for rejecting the authority of Jesus. When the priority of Jesus is lessened and when the priority of self is elevated. Whenever either of these happen, then one can assume the authority of Jesus over one's life is being rejected. When the priority of Jesus is lessened and the priority of self is elevated. In reference to Jesus turning over the tables, there was no apparent disdain on the part of the Jewish officials for, for how he cleared the temple. I don't believe they would have told him he was wrong to run the money changers out, although I'm sure their pockets were benefited by such, uh, such marketing that was taking place. So they were not really arguing what he had done. They were arguing the authority. There was a question as to what authority he had to make such a response over this place, the temple, that they actually superintended. Now, while we do not know the specific identity of these Jews, they were probably representatives of some formal temple authority, like likely they were Pharisees, although some could have been Sadducees as well. These individuals were with man-made authority, and they challenged Jesus with the inquiry for a messianic sign. They were men who actually were supposed to be posturing and looking for the Messiah to come. 
Jesus answered, If the temple be destroyed, I'll raise it up in three days. And this mirrors the response Jesus had made in other places, like Matthew chapter 12, when the people demanded a sign, and Jesus pointed them ultimately to the resurrection. Now in verse 20, when Jesus answered them, destroy the temple, and I will raise it up again in three days. The temple authorities replied, it's taken 46 years to build the temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? The temple authorities responded to Jesus' statement by questioning how Jesus could rebuild what had taken 46 years to build. They were referencing, I believe, the temple renovation that had been begun by Herod the Great in 20 B.C., but was not completed until 63 A.D. So the problem becomes clear. The temple authorities missed, or you might say they dismissed, the authority of Jesus. This designates the problem. They completely missed and likely dismissed the authority of Jesus. I love the story about Queen Victoria and her husband, Prince Albert. They quarreled about something early in their marriage, and Albert walked out of the room and went to his private quarters. Queen Victoria followed, found the door locked, and began pounding on it. Who's there, Prince Albert asked. The Queen of England, she replied, but the door remained locked. More pounding followed, but then there was a pause. The next sound was that of a gentle tap. Who's there, Prince Albert inquired, and the queen replied, Your wife, Albert, and Prince Albert immediately opened the door. This story was told in its original form as clarity to the problem of not recognizing the right authority at the right time. The men in the temple that day did not recognize that before them stood the Messiah. They missed the authority of Jesus and they dismissed his authority. And the conversation turned into a powerful claim. So having looked at the problem, men, even men of religious occupation who rejected the authority of Jesus, let's now turn to a second fact of the conversation. The person and works of Christ. Please understand that the greatest answer to someone who's doubting the authority of Jesus is just to look to the person and works of Christ. Now, why did Jesus make this statement? Destroy the temple, and I will raise it up again uh, in three days. What does uh, verse 19 teach us? Jesus manifested in his body the perfect temple that embodied the glory of God so that mankind would would know God and through Christ would be redeemed into that relationship. Verse 21 of John chapter 2, but the temple he had spoken about was his body. The temple authorities were spiritually blind to this truth and thought Jesus, again, was speaking of the physical structure of the temple wherein they stood. Jesus, however, referencing his own body as a sacrifice for all men, pointed to his resurrection that would indeed secure salvation. Notice how we find reference to the person and works of Jesus. The Jewish authorities ultimately led in the arrest and trial of Jesus and seemingly attempted to destroy the physical temple of his body in the crucifixion. His body being a demonstration of of God and God's glory, for he was truly and completely God in the flesh. Remember how Jesus answered, Destroy this sanctuary, I'll raise it up again in three days. 
Do you hear God's authority in Christ? I will raise it up again. In this single statement, Jesus elevated the cross. Oh, please lean into this part of the conversation. Jesus elevated the cross and the redemptive will of God over the entire history and practice of the Jewish temple. Culminating in a reference to the resurrection, Jesus decried the legal system and the religious traditions of man with the one and only answer that gives answer to life. The resurrection of Jesus. This narrative of the temple conversation proclaims he is the resurrection and the life that supersedes all of mankind's religious attempts to please God. So the cleansing of the temple brought a focus from the earthly temple made with hands to the perfect tabernacle of God's glory in his son, Jesus. Because the Jewish authorities lobbied for Christ's death, the divine irony here is that the Jews were the means of bringing about the sign that they had asked Christ to produce. Jesus sacrificed truly and finally expiated sin, thus bringing an end to the temple as a place of sacrifices. As these men were assigned as superintendents of the temple, Jesus confronted their superimposed authority and claimed the place of Jewish worship as pointing to the life of the Messiah. And from this conversation with the temple authorities comes the truth that Jesus' resurrection brings life to the believer, to the body of Christ, the church, and to all that becomes ministry through the church. There's no element of legalism, religious tradition, nor even faith heritage that can bring life. Only Jesus. And the resurrection proves this. This, this entire expression of Jesus' words about destroy the temple, I raise it again, all represents the person and works of Christ that always answers the problem of men rejecting his authority. Simply stated, look at who Jesus is. Look at what he has accomplished. He is truly supreme in everything, as we read in Colossians 1.18 and all throughout the scriptures. So two facts we've looked at uh, from the conversation. Now we move to a a third and a final fact in the conversation. The necessary message of the resurrection. Now remember what the conversation revealed. The conversation revealed a problem. Man defying the authority of Jesus, dismissing and missing his authority. The conversation revealed the life and works of Jesus as he, in, in the authority of heaven, pointed toward his, his crucifixion and resurrection. But now the conversation reveals the significance of the resurrection, the, the necessary message of the resurrection for the temple that day and for you and me. Jesus turned the entire event in the temple with the religious leaders to the truth of the resurrection. And one week past Easter, we must do the same to learn from this conversation that the authority of Christ should not be missed or dismissed, but joyfully embraced. Consider these truths from the resurrection of our Lord that instills the importance of his authority over the church and over our lives and over all things. After all, when the temple authorities inferred, by what authority do you do this? Meaning turning over the tables and cleansing the temple from the marketers. Jesus pointed to the resurrection. 
Isn't that amazing? By what authority do you do this? The emphasis fell upon the resurrection. His resurrection speaks of his authority as our Savior and our Lord. The resurrection is the hope of the Christian message, the gospel. Consider Paul's defense of the gospel and the heart of the gospel proclamation from, from Acts chapter 23, verse 6. Paul wrote, but perceiving that one group of Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out to the council, brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. Paul, in that statement from Acts 23, 6, reminded us that the resurrection represents the hope of the gospel. Our message, we have no message without the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14 reminds us that if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. And so the gospel pointed to the emphasis of our message and, and the, the core of our Christian faith, the resurrection. But the resurrection unfolds the complete picture of salvation. Romans 6, 5 reminds us that we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Romans 6, 5, this baptismal passage reminds us of our complete salvation buried with Christ raised to walk in the likeness of the resurrection in a new life you see without his resurrection we know this we would not have salvation this is why he is our authority his resurrection is the center of the gospel the Christian message his his resurrection fulfills our own salvation but, but third his resurrection confirms the security of our faith in Jesus Christ, our faith is secure because of the resurrection. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First Peter 1, 3. Secure in him, born again because of his resurrection. Yes, he is our authority. He is supreme over all things and we we praise him for this. But there's even a fourth fact of, of the resurrection that comes to life here that I bring to you from God's word. The resurrection assumes the missional life. Acts 26 verse 23 declares that the Christ was to suffer and that by the reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Again, Acts 26 verse 23. He was the first to proclaim, and we are to go and to do the same. All authority is his in heaven and on earth. And through that authority, he said, go and make disciples. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. So looking back to verse 21 of this chapter, John chapter 2, he spoke of his body and he referenced the resurrection. But in verse 22, this is what we read. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This verse points forward uh, from this narrative to the hopeful future when the disciples did believe in him once and for all. A resurrection faith. They truly understood. This was Jesus' message to the temple authorities that day. You will know who I am. On the day of the resurrection. That would be a powerful summary. 
of Jesus' words to the temple authorities. So we stand here, we sit here today, post-resurrection. And our faith this day must contrast the faith that we find described in the final verses of this chapter. John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, we know that this, again, was a setting of the cleansing of the temple. He was performing many signs and and many believed in his name. But look at verse 24. Verse 23 sounds to be the, the, the narrative fulfillment. Yes, people believed in the name of Jesus, but in verse 24 we read, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. Verse 25, he did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Jesus quickly noted the superficiality of faith, especially of those who are simply drawn to the miracles. And John's gospel emphasizes this. And so when you look back at the disciples' faith and how when they saw Jesus resurrected, they remembered what he said and those disciples who became apostles never turned back. Many of them went to their death and their faith was unshaken because they had a resurrection faith, not a superficial belief. As we see recorded in verse 24 and 25, Jesus didn't entrust himself to those who were shouting, yay, Jesus, we believe in you because he knew what was in their heart. He knew the superficiality of their belief. So may the conversation we just engaged with in the temple move you to a resurrection faith and more deeply abiding under the authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The conversation was meant to benefit those temple authorities and all around, but oh, how this conversation taken from the earthly ministry of Jesus speaks boldly and powerfully to our lives today. Beloved pastor and author Henry Nowen commented on the resurrection and I close with his quote, Jesus didn't rise from the dead to prove to those who had crucified him that they had made a mistake or he didn't arise from the dead to confound his opponents, nor did he rise from the dead to impress the rulers of his time or to force anyone to believe. Jesus' resurrection was the full affirmation of his father's love. That shouts out the message of the resurrection, the full demonstration of the father's love. Jesus looked in the midst of religious conflict in the temple. Jesus standing there in the midst of a scene that was a, a scene of, of the house of God being polluted by, by personal desires of material gain. And Jesus drove those money changers out, but it seems the narrative was more significantly highlighting the conversation that followed when the temple authorities asked Jesus about his authority. And his authority became so incredibly pronounced as he referenced the resurrection that he would, he would die and he would lie dead three days and he would rise again. And so the resurrection is the emphasis above all emphasis concerning the Father's love, God's love for you and for me. And how can we not 
bow under the authority of Jesus. Not questioning it, but bowing so humbly under his authority. And I hope that the word authority doesn't push you back because this doesn't reflect anything that's authoritarian, but rather an authority of love. For through his death and resurrection, his name is above every name. And at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall, shall confess. His resurrection pointed to the fulfillment of God's love for us. And oh, how God loves you. How Jesus loves you. And this conversation that took place during the earthly ministry of Jesus speaks to us today and invites us to trust who he is over our lives to submit to his authority as Savior and Lord. And so I leave you with this question. Do you actually trust him with every detail of your life down to those microfibers of your existence? Do you trust him? Are you leaning on him? Are you humbling yourself under his great name? Or do you sometimes find that in attitude and maybe even in activity, uh, you you vie against and fight against his authority. Oh, may that, may that never be. May we come humbly before Jesus, trusting him and saying, Jesus, I don't have to ask by whose authority. I submit to you. So I pray that you feel a fresh calling to, to give your life to Jesus. And if you know him, if your faith is in him, to walk more humbly and more surrendered in every area of life to him. There's no other way to live. Oh, thank you for joining us for this first of, of many conversations we'll engage with concerning how Jesus sent a direct message to those with whom he had conversation. And his message is coming straight to us today. He is our Savior, our Redeemer. His name is above all. He's our authority. And we surrender to him. Thank you for joining us. There's a website location on the screen right now that will point you to a way that you can reach out because we would love to uh, have conversation with you about Jesus, and we would love to encourage you in your walk of faith, or we would love to talk to you about what it means to place your faith in Jesus and to know Him as Savior and Lord. There's no other way to receive the Father's love than to come through Jesus, and I pray that you are hearing God's love call to you now, and I pray that you'll surrender your whole life to the beautiful and the powerful and the unchanging name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks for joining us today. I'd love to pray with you. Father God, thank you for uh, teaching us through your scripture. Thank you for this conversation from the life of the early ministry of your precious son who, who has offered this conversation to us today through the Holy Spirit and through your holy word. May we live under the name and the great name and authority of Jesus Christ. Guide us, Father, from this point forward to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. Again, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Love you a lot. Can't wait to share more conversations with you from the life of Jesus. Take care. Be blessed.